DKS5 is powered by Meme Global, a video marketing and advertising solution for entrepreneurs. Hello and welcome to the Digital Kung Fu Show, the podcast and video cast for startup founders and entrepreneurs. Even if you're alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs across the world hustling today's markets. At Digital Kung Fu, we have one goal, to help entrepreneurs succeed in their ventures through information sharing, digitally connecting them with other entrepreneurs, and by dissecting and deconstructing the world's leading business minds right here on this show. Remember, you can view the full show notes on our website at digitalkungfu.co. Dot ZA or tweet this show using our handle at digital kung fu ZA or follow us on facebook.com slash digital kung fu ZA. Content marketing is a critical component of any go to marketing strategy, and this is especially true in the world of startups. Content can be used to dictate your value and to frame your scarcity. Startups can leverage content to reach scale quickly and also to nurture prospects down a conversion funnel at various channel touchpoints. But how does one address all this? In order to get the answers, I reached out to Catherine Black and Belinda Mountain, the founders of Black Mountain, a content marketing agency servicing some pretty big brands down in sub-Saharan Africa. What's really interesting about Catherine and Belinda is that they're both moms as well as running a successful business. So pay attention towards the end of the interview where we uncover a few things that they do to really maximize productivity in the f- despite the fact that they have to run a home, so to speak, and also run a business. So how does one create balance? And we address that component towards the end of the interview. So without further ado, introducing Catherine and Belinda. This is Matt Brown from Digital Kung Fu, and today we're going to talk about a subject that is predicted by Adobe Insights to be the most important digital marketing activity of the year. So if you haven't guessed it by now, it's of course the subject of content marketing. And it just so happens that we have two of South Africa's leading content marketing experts on the line from um, the agency Black Mountain. So without further ado, allow me to introduce you to our two guests today. We're scaling up <laughs> as we progress forward with the, the digital kung fu proposition. Um, but firstly, it's Catherine Black and Belinda Mountain. So ladies, thanks for joining the call today. I know you're both incredibly busy, so it's a real coup d'etat for all of us here at the uh, Digital Kung Fu to hear what you have to say about the subject and the discipline of content marketing. Welcome, guys. Hi. How's it, Matt? Yes. Cool. So let's jump straight into things. Um, and I'd like to start with um, discussing a bit more around Black Mountain. Um, I know that both of you are obviously incredibly successful in your own right. So, for example, with Belinda's blog, uh, making mountains. If you guys haven't checked it out, go check it out already or as soon as you um, finish watching this interview. Uh, <laughs> but she was also, she's been the recipient of, of two uh, South African blog awards now. And Catherine, uh, speaking of you being a published author with her book, uh, 301 Ways to Use Social Media to Boost Your Marketing. Um, but on top of that, they're both moms as well. So how did you guys connect and what led you to launching your now successful agency, Black Mountain? Great. I'll, I'll take that one. Thanks, Matt. Um, Catherine and I met when she was um, – I was actually a client of hers when she was working on her own um, advising companies on how to better their social media. 
Um, and it was around that time that I had my first child. Um, and they're actually quite interconnected, being a mom and, and you know, wanting to work for yourself. You want some more flexibility. You want um, to be your own boss. Um, and it was while we were, you know, working on a project together that we got the idea. There was a gap in the market for really good content. Um, and we both loved writing um, and had a digital background. So the idea was born. Okay, lovely, cool. And since then, um, from what I understand, you guys have done incredibly well. Um, I think you've seen something like double-digit growth year on year since you've launched the agency. Um, and obviously, in my view, you're creating some kind of value for your clients. Otherwise, you wouldn't see significant growth like that. Um, so for the guys who would like to know a little bit more around exactly what you guys do from a service offering point of view, um, and also in terms of your point of difference, um, how would you kind of describe your services and your point of difference in the market, guys? Um, okay, well, Belinda touched on it briefly in that we saw a gap in the market for what we do. So the first answer to that is, you know, as far as we know, there are not that many people who do exactly what we do. Okay. I mean, there are a handful. But uh, what we found in the digital industry was there were a lot of either huge agencies that offered everything, like a whole lot of services, copywriting, web design, um, you know, everything, strategy, uh, web development. Um, or there were a lot of specialist web design agencies. And then you had the client. And there weren't a lot of people focusing on the copy or the content of those digital properties, when in actual fact, content is such an important part of selling digitally. So yeah. we, come along, we came along and said, well, let's specialize specifically within the content arena. So to that end, we offer um, – sorry, I'm just going to just shut my mail down. Sorry. Um, we offer everything to do with digital content. So what that means is website copywriting. So any words that go on a website, that could be the core web content – um, it could be monthly blog posts. It could be an email newsletter that's sent out. Um, and then the other point of difference with us is that I come from quite a strong SEO, search engine optimization okay. background. Cool. So all our content is uh, optimized for search engines, and then we have the processes that go along with that. So things like keyword research, um, we look at conversion optimization. So mm -hmm. it's kind of the bigger picture. You know, you're getting people into the site, but then are you converting them through your content? Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, and that's a critical piece of any digital marketing strategy, right, um, is what you're doing from a content um, player perspective. And, and it's interesting because in my experience, a lot of digital marketers, you know, we talk about, yes, we, we need a content player for, for this campaign or whatever, um, but very rarely is it, one, executed at all, and two, if they do go to market with a content strategy, is it executed very well? And I think if you look broadly in the market, there's probably only literally a couple of brands that I'd point to, like Red Bull, for example, that are doing content right. Um, so I wanted to talk about strategy. And obviously, strategy is a key driver in content. Um, and I think what might help um, our viewers is if we, if we give some context. So let's assume that um, an entrepreneur, let's call him Joe, <laughs> was in the business of um, selling children's toys online. Okay, so Joe approaches um, you guys for a content strategy for this business. Can you um, just perhaps walk us through how you would put together a content strategy for Joe? B, do you want to take this one? Sure. Or? Yeah, I'll, I'll chat I'll about jump. that. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. Um, 
in terms of yeah, in terms of Joe and his his plan. Um, firstly, I would tell Joe he needs to think like his target market. So you know, if I'm a parent and I want to buy toys, what is Joe offering that's different? Um, or that, why should I buy from Joe instead yeah. of going to the toy shop? You know, are they luxury? Are they approved by, you know, some education expert? So, you know, I'm talking about the need. What need is Joe fulfilling with these toys? Um, You know, and I think that's vital. And that would inform everything, you know, Mm -hmm. in terms of the tone, in terms of the content that we create. You know, what is the audience searching for? What problems need to be solved that Joe can help them solve? Mm -hmm. Um, And that would form the basis of the content strategy. And then that would lead on, obviously, to sales. Um, but that's how I'd look at it. Just mm-hmm. always looking at what the target market is looking for and how Joe can help them. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And I think uh, I'll just jump in there and add to that. Um, that's definitely, I think a lot of people miss that first step, mm-hmm. as Belinda says. You know, they're not even sure of who they're talking to, and they're actually not sure what makes them good or makes them different. Mm-hmm. Um, so, my first question, yeah, once you've got that, is content marketing has actually been around. Forever. forever. People have always created, well, not always, but since digital platforms have been around, people have created content. But what I think content marketing is, is actually being strategic about at what stage are you producing what kind of content. So mm-hmm. are they at the discovery stage? Are they at the buying sa- stage? Are they at the you know comparing stage? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's about creating a plan uh, of different types of contents that feed through those, like the sales funnel, if you want to call it that. Yeah. And I mean, it's hard to get really specific because... Every business is so different, and the budgets are different, and the time frames are different, and mm-hmm. and the audiences are different. So mm-hmm. there's no one size fits all. But I think Belinda's absolutely right in that if you spend the time in the beginning getting to know how to actually communicate with your target audience, mm-hmm. then the content strategy sort of formulates itself. In yeah, a way. that's exactly that's exactly true, and I'd agree wholeheartedly with what you guys have said. I think I'd just like to add to that. I think. You know, there's definitely a conversion funnel. And if you're going to think strategically about content, to your point, Catherine, you know, what's that journey? Is it awareness, education, and conversion, or whatever, however you define um, the, uh, the journey that your customer is going to go on? And then from a content point of view, for me, it's, it's kind of like, how do you nurture that journey? You know, so in the awareness phase, how do I then nurture their, that particular experience? And then from an education point of view, what's the right content piece, like a video, for example, to educate the market on what this product does for them? And then a conversion uh, piece of content would be something completely different. So I think even there's no, as you said, there's no one size fits all. But I think uh, just, just from a strategic point of view, though, it's to, just to kind of think holistically around what's that journey that I want to go on. Otherwise, with content, it's kind of like how long is a piece of string? And I think as mm-hmm. as a entrepreneur, business owner, where you're kind of being pulled in all sorts of different directions and wearing many different hats during the day, it's quite easy to kind of lose your focus. Do you know Definitely. what I mean? I, I like we see that all the time. Um, just people creating co- content, you know, and sometimes content is meant to be fun. It's meant to be viral. Mm-hmm. But ideally, the content strategy. It's, it's to sell things at the end of the day. Yeah. So, you know, and I know there are different stages, um, but ideally you want to be promoting your service or your brand or engaging or selling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think we're touching on an interesting... Sorry. Belinda's done. He wants to be on the call as well. Oh, does yeah. he? Okay, bring it, bring it on, bring it on. The more the merrier. <laughs> We'll talk about puppies. <laughs> There's your content. <laughs> Perfect. 
is V back yet? Oh, there yes, you go. I'm back. Okay, I'm back. Okay, I'm back. So. <laughs> cool. All right, Laka. So I wanted to just talk around unpacking the role of content a little bit more, if you guys don't mind. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe, Catherine, you can pick this one up. Um, I think it's mm-hmm. interesting when you look at social, right? So there's obviously a number of different platforms in play. You've got Instagram, you've got Facebook, Twitter, and so on. Um, and as we're all aware, each of these platforms is a different set of users. And obviously, those users have different expectations uh, in terms of the content they expect from brands on that platform, right? So it's going to be different for an Instagram user versus a Twitter user, for, for example, right? So I wanted to talk around this concept of um, content reuse or content content reformatting, right? Um, is there, uh, or for these different platforms, how do you reformat content? So for example, let's say that Joe will go back to Joe again. He has a 60 second video on YouTube. Um, what, how can he, in your view, go about kind of uh, reformatting that, the content of the video to appropriately meet the needs of users on different social media platforms? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Okay, well, the first thing I would say is before he's created that 60-second video is hopefully in the content plan he has thought about the different social networks he's going to use and the different types of content that fit each one of them. So, you know, it's very rare that you take one piece of content and you just spread it across all of them because, as you just said, they're all so different. Mm. The other thing I want to bring up is that I think people get panicky about social media. They hear social media, okay, we need to be on every single platform. The reality is it actually takes a lot of resources Mm. um, if you're going to do it in-house, which a lot of people do. So I always say to clients, you know, rather than – making sure that you are active every day, all day, on every single social network, which unless you have a huge team doing it, is pretty impossible. Yeah. Pick one or two or three to start with and make sure that your different types of content fit that and you may alternate. So, mm. you know, and, and then to your point about the 60-second video, hopefully you have a production team or someone in-house who knew from the outset that we're going to shoot this video, we're going to need it in a 60-second format, mm-hmm. but we're also going to need it in a 15, 10-second format for Instagram. Mm-hmm. And But, you know, having said that, I'm not sure that videos are always appropriate for Instagram. I mean, sure, sure you see them, but, you know, it, it, that's it. It's like, do I need to use it everywhere? Mm. Mm. Right? Sorry. Belinda, yeah, I was just saying, in. depending on the topic, you know, like I think Instagram yeah. are a bit sick of yeah. – advertising already yeah and then we've got you know we've got a, a very not serious but they yeah i guess they're a serious brand in bank within banking they're one of the major banks and 
you know, we don't recommend that they go wild on every on Instagram, for example. They are very active on LinkedIn because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. LinkedIn is they offer a lot of B two B advice, um, you know, about banking and business banking specifically. Yeah. And so in that way, yeah, yeah, maybe they focus on one. Whereas one of our lifestyle focused brands might do a lot of work on Instagram, especially if the product they're selling lends itself to say pretty pictures. You know, mm-hmm. um, then Instagram is perfect. So again, I don't think it's a case of like let's repurpose every piece we create for six different networks. It's you know maybe in one week yes you're tweeting, but then you've also got this piece is going to go on LinkedIn, and then you know okay. on Friday it's there's something else that's going to go on YouTube. Okay, so I think from so the so the lesson or the advice there really is around be careful around the platforms that you select in terms of where you're going to go with your content. Um, think around how you execute your content for each platform that, you know, if you're deciding to do Facebook or Instagram or whatever. And then thirdly, consider how to, um, clever or creative ways to tell the story, right? So for that 60 second video, you could create a small infographic, you know, for, mm. I don't know, for if you're targeting, say, business people mm. um, on LinkedIn, you know, because they dig infographics to, yeah. to sum up <laughs> complicated information sets you know, when they don't have a lot of time. So, so that's pretty cool advice, guys. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that one. I want to talk around, um, mistakes because obviously as you're executing anything, but especially with regards to content, um, I mean, I see it every day out there, uh, in the digital space. Um, Belinda, maybe you can take this one for us. Um, yeah, well, I'll kick off. I'm sure Catherine will have some stuff to add. Cool. Um, but I've touched on it before. I think one of the most common mistakes, and often this is this is larger agencies, is that they they try and be ultra creative, and I'm not dissing creativity, but they try to create a campaign that's amazingly creative, and they want to win awards. Mm. But at the end of the day, does it sell things for the client? Does it help the client in any way, or is it just a pretty movie that a few people liked? And that was, you know, smart. Yeah. That, that, that's the one. And then, I mean, when it comes to social media these days and the way content is seeded, there are huge mistakes to be made, um, you know, in terms of, you know, all kind, a lot of people get insulted about a lot of things. So <laughs> I would say one of the big mistakes companies do is they put juniors on social media to manage the seeding out of content. Um, and then that normally blows up in their faces because the juniors don't know how to respond appropriately to certain situations. Um, and I think they're learning now, but you see a lot of that still um, with different brands. Okay. Yeah, that's great advice. Now, I would say if you're putting your stuff out there, you need to make sure it's you know well researched, no grammar mistakes. This is just from a content perspective, mm-hmm. like really well written. Because when you're putting it out there, you open yourself up to criticism. Mm-hmm. So if you're gonna, you know, firstly make sure it's a, a good piece of content. But if you're gonna put something controversial up, you yeah. need to be very sure that you manage any sort of backlash that comes mm-hmm. your way. Um, and mm-hmm. I, a lot of brands don't expect how things can snowball so quickly, yeah. you know, and suddenly, yeah. and, and everyone loves yeah. to bash a brand, a company, yeah. as opposed to the guy, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, no, I think this whole Penny Sparrow debacle is uh, an interesting one, not necessarily for what, for what happened, but also um, for me, what's more interesting is how many people are losing their jobs because of commenting on it. Do you know uh, what I mean? So, yeah. like, I saw this morning Gareth Clip apparently suing the yeah. uh, multi-choice for twenty-five million now because he's yeah. basically cost his cost him his idol's job. I mean, it's a it's a very 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 volatile 
uh, and risky thing to take your brand out into a social media space if you're not yeah. very, very careful yes. uh, around you know what you want to say and how you want to say it. And that's why I think you guys are creating so much value for for business owners because you know you can literally guide them through that through the through the journey, right? So do this, don't do that. Recommend doing this, but not doing that. You know, um, and I think it's it's uh, that's incredibly valuable. And it's also, I think, for me, important to make the distinction between community management and content marketing because mm. they're fundamentally different things. You know, mm. how, you, how you manage and nurture the relationship as part of a community is not the same as how you try – it's not the same as, you know, how you move product using content. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I, I agree, but I have one thing to add because I had a meeting this week um, and I actually spoke to a client about this because you can create all the most amazing content in the world, but if the community manager is not doing their job, it can also just sit there. Yeah. So they are, they are very different, but they are quite intrinsically linked. Mm-hmm. And I think to your point, B, you need to have a, the right mix of um, resources managing, whether it's content marketing or managing the community. You need to have that right balance, I think, between someone that's junior that really understands and lives and breathes social media uh, day in and day out, but then also someone who has perhaps a more business-focused lens, right? Like how to do marketing, what's the right thing to say in order to get um, our USP across, you know, for this product in this video and so on. Um, And so I think also what I'd like to touch with you guys on today is is measurement, right? So metrics is obviously Mm -hmm. a key thing, right, as we're executing, especially in content, and like with everything in digital. So I want to bring Joe back into the frame. Um, how does Joe measure success, right? So he's selling toys online. There are, of course, um, you know, tons of metrics to choose from. And these, of course, vary depending on con- content type, platform, and so on and so forth. So if, if there were, say, three things that um, entrepreneurs and business owners should measure, okay, as part of their content marketing efforts, what, 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 what should they be in your view? Um, okay, so all of I think there are a few key ones, and I think again they relate back to the sales funnel. So the very first one, which anyone can do if you have Google, Google Analytics, which is free, is to look at visits or sessions to your site. I mean that's an obvious thing because if you digital creating digital content, you presumably want to drive people to your site. So first thing is to see well what's your audience like response rate in terms of actually getting to where you want them to go. Mm-hmm. The second thing in a mm-hmm. social context, I would say shares and likes. Okay. Um, although okay. I would be wary about those because, you know, you can have a Facebook page and have a thousand likes, but, you know, what does that actually mean? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it can be a good indicator if you're looking at relative performance between two types of content, yeah. but I wouldn't yeah. place that as the holy grail. Yeah. Um, the holy grail for me is to look at sales, yeah. sales that result yeah. from that piece of content and look it involves quite a bit of intricate uh, metric setup because you have to have your loop closed you have to be able to say this person came in from this piece of content you know have a cookie based system or whatever it is and say you know then they ended up buying this product a lot of people don't have that so the second prize which a lot of people do is just to see leads or inquiries so you know they come to your site and then they've signed up or uh, filled out a contact form um, and then, as I said, from there, you know, your lead to sales ratio, a lot of people haven't sorted out, but if you could know that, then you, once you've got that, you can actually work back and work out a budget that you can spend, and you can also see which pieces of content resonate better. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. 
Four metrics, sorry. Okay, no, that's cool. Now, so I just kind of want to repeat back what I, what what you're kind of saying, just to make sure I didn't miss anything. But basically, or at least what I've seen is like brands are moving away from, to your point, these vanity based metrics. You know, like um, mm. likes, shares, all this kind of stuff, and they're moving towards a more either engagement or conversion optimized measurement. So, to your point, you know, like what's the cost per lead, lead per conversion based on to, you know specific types of content, and they're kind of moving back towards the business metrics, right? So to your point, Kath, around, you know, sales, right? So sales being the lifeblood of any business, why wouldn't you measure that? You know, and then obviously, if you think about it more holistically, that's the kind of stuff one should be measuring, you know, at the end of the day, it's bottom line, uh, results or performance using, you know, content marketing as the kind of driver of those results. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's interesting that you touched on that. Cool guys. Thanks. I think we've really killed the, the content side of things. I want to now talk around more around the entre- entrepreneurship side of things. So let's shift gears there for a sec. Um, Bia, let's start with you. I always like to ask entrepreneurs and especially successful guys, um, or entrepreneurs such as you, um, why in your opinion, do you think that most businesses fail in the first 12 months? Two words, cash flow. <laughs> that's that's basically all I have to say on that topic. Yeah. Um, you know, if you can't pay salaries, you can't pay the bills. Um, it's going to be very hard to keep a business running. Okay, cool. Straight down to the meat and potatoes. I like that. Uh, <laughs> Catherine, what's your view on that? No, I mean I agree. I agree, but I have to say that if you start your business with funding, you know, then you have a cushion. Okay, so then your first twelve months you know, are, I guess you, you've got given money to start up. And so even if you're not bringing in money, you've still got money. In our case, and I can only speak from experience, and that's why I agree with Belinda, we started with nothing. Mm-hmm. So we started with our first client, and that was the first bit of money we brought in. But, you know, you can talk about your positioning and how awesome your product is, and we've got 20 clients. But exactly, if you can't pull money out of that, yeah. you may as well be doing it as a hobby. So it's fair to say that you guys basically bootstrapped the entire thing, right? Yep. Okay, yeah. Cool. All right. Which is quite nice because you don't owe anyone any, any money. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you don't, yeah, you don't have to pay back anything with interest or, and I think there's pros and cons. It's quite risky, but if you can do it, it's the cleanest way of starting. Yeah, exactly. Also, you guys are completely autonomous. You don't have to answer to anybody. There's nobody else sitting on your board, so to speak. So I think you guys yeah, have done yeah. completely the right thing. So I think the takeout there is when if you can bootstrap it, guys, like bootstrap it, you know, unless you really have to go and get funding for scaling or, or, yeah. to, or, or growth, yeah. you know. Cool. Um, we did start working, you know, she was working her day job and then we were doing stuff in the afternoon together. And when I started on my own, I was also, I had... I, you know, worked a job and was able to save money. So you can create a cushion to do that. And I think it's a bit of planning. Yeah, exactly. And that kind of leads me into the next question I have. And what I really find amazing about both of you in terms of your entrepreneurial journey is that you're both moms. And the reason why I find that so amazing is because I'm a father, a new father as well. Um, and I find that to be an incredibly challenging um, uh, sort of component of my life. So when you try and throw in starting a business and a startup and getting mm-hmm. new clients and delivering, bootstrapping everything, you know, when you combine the business and the personal um, sort of ecosystem or life stages, I guess, together, it must be incredibly challenging. And I'm sure that there are viewers out there who are going through similar things or potentially are going to go through similar things. Um, so I wanted to find mm-hmm. out from you, um, are there any practical, easy to apply tips that you'd like to share on that? Uh, I can start. Cool. So we 
we were very clear about having an office, an office space. Mm-hmm. So everyone thinks they live the dream if they work from home when they have children because then you are right near your baby whenever you need to be. But the reality is it doesn't work. It does not yeah. work. If they're too young, you can't concentrate mm-hmm. because you can hear them crying next door. If they're too old, they know that you're there and they will try and you know interrupt you. So I think uh, from a headspace point of view, my number one tip would be to try and get out the office. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't have to be a – I mean, try to get out the home, sorry, <laughs> into an office. And it doesn't have to be anything fancy, but it's just – it's that thing of you leave in the morning, you're part of the world, you're going to work, and then when you leave there again, you're putting on your, your mother. Because anyone who's a mother and a father knows when you're at home with your kids, yeah. I, I can't get any work done, you know. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's my, my practical tip. And then also to just manage clients' expectations properly. So I have Belinda to thank for this because she's so organized. But <laughs> if you know, you know how long things are going to take you and, and how many things you have due in one week, you can more accurately say to a client, okay, well, I can get this to you by Thursday morning because you know that you can only work between, you know, probably limited hours compared to if you don't have kids, oh, yeah, I can just pull an all-nighter, you know, tomorrow night or I can just leave leave for work at 6 in the morning and come home at 8 at night. But with parenting, it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. B? Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with all of that. The other one I want to add is that you, you need support. Um, you know, you can't do it all alone. Um and often people who are entrepreneurs, they're very ambitious. They think they can do everything. Um, but what I realize is that you can't. So you need a supportive partner. And if you don't have a supportive partner, then family that can help or, you know, someone else to help with childcare, whether it's a crash, whether it's a nanny. And then they need to be flexible and you need to be flexible um, and work together. Because I really do think it takes it does take a village to raise a child. It's, it's not something you can do by yourself, especially if you're trying to grow a business. Yeah, exactly. I think if you're a single mom kind of and a business owner or a single mom trying to start a business, I think that's probably the most difficult context, I think, to kind mm-hmm. of make it work, you know. Um, but having said that, I think, you know, as entrepreneurs, we're also always learning, right? Um, and uh, I wanted to find out from, from either of you, um, what has been the single biggest lesson that you've learned to date uh, with the launch and growth of Black Mountain? Uh, I'll start. I think the biggest lesson has been to create a form of steady income as opposed to so project work versus retainer work. My biggest lesson has been you can have take on a massive project that looks really lucrative mm. for the next two, three months, and it's all great, but at the end of that three months, what then? then suddenly you've done no step in, the, in that time frame to get new clients, and suddenly the next two months you're not earning anything, mm. and it's quite volatile. So that's how we, you know, we, we, yeah, we aim for retainers, to be honest, because if you can have a steady cash flow, it speaks back to those reasons, like why do businesses fail? So that's been the biggest lesson. And we do take, it's not to say we don't take on project work, but the biggest lesson is to try and plan your income stream. Yeah, that cash flow argument again, right? I agree, that would be mine as well. Okay, super. Um, so I want to talk about productivity because I think Catherine, you're up in Joburg, I think, right? Um, and uh, B, you're down in Cape Town. So you're a distributed team working on delivering a single value prop. Um, is there any, are, are there any productivity apps uh, or collaborative mm. apps, lifestyle apps that you guys use as, as business owners to help manage your, your daily function and workload? Uh, yeah, we actually, we use quite a few. Um, we've recently started using Asana for workflow. I don't know if you're aware of it. It's, yeah, yeah where you, 
you put in projects, deadlines, who's doing what. That has been incredibly helpful. Uh, then we have an invoicing. Um, we use FreshBooks for invoicing, which is, is great. You can see how much money is owed, um, all that kind of thing. We obviously use Google, we use Google Calendar, um, Google Drive, all of those things so that we, you know, we can see in an instant what the other person's up to. Okay, super. So it's basically. Drive, I was, sorry, carry on. Interrupted. It, no, I'll just add Google Drive, like, you know, productivity, yes, but like I got my laptop stolen about five months ago Oops. and I didn't lose a single piece of work because yeah. everything is on Google Drive and it's just, if I had to choose one tool, I mean, the project management sound is awesome, but I'd say in terms of just like we couldn't get by without it, that would be Google mm-hmm. Drive. Yeah, go to go to the cloud basically, right? Yeah. <laughs> Business continuity. Yeah. Don't don't run everything off your laptop and expect it to be there if that shit happens. Go cloud, right? So cool. <laughs> okay, so to end off guys, um I've got five rapid fire questions. I'll ping you the question, B D strike, Catherine, you can you can plug in afterwards. Okay. Cool, here we go. Uh what was the last book you read? Um Liz Gilbert's Big Magic. Okay, Kath. Uh, the Bone Clocks by David Mitchell. <laughs> okay, interesting. Why? Uh, <laughs> the Bone Clocks. Uh, yeah, what is that about? I'm sorry, I have to ask. Well, he's the author of Cloud Aptus, which is probably maybe a little bit well known, but it's it's like an it's like an epic sci-fi magic realism saga spanning fifty years. Okay, so <laughs> it's very hard to explain. Okay, so it's got nothing to do with business, right? So it's a uh, so no, 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 cool. no, it's, it's fiction. Uh, fiction. No. Um, my book's about creativity, so they, they, I'll add the business touch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Second question. If you won 100 million rand today, what would you buy first? I would buy a farm. Okay, farming. Farming's interesting. Cat? No, just a farm where I could be by myself and write and no one would bother me. Okay, cool. So you're an aspiring author as well. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> cool. Catherine? I'd probably buy a piece of property overseas, to be honest. Yeah. You know, okay. Hitch, hitch my investments. Nice. Nothing wrong with that. Cool. Thirdly, um, who do you guys secretly admire? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I can't single out a single celebrity or uh, any strong woman that is, um, you know, doing what she loves, making a living, raising a family, being a good person. Yeah, I admire them. Okay, cool. Nice one. Kath? Yeah, I mean, Belinda will know this. I couldn't think of anyone. And then I thought, well, so I'm a complete, like, social media phobe. Like, believe it or not, I actually hate posting on social media. I hate it. I, like, feel like I feel exposed. And I'm actually secretly very admiring of people who just – can put this stuff out there, man, and they don't care, yeah. and they don't, like, worry, and it's all just, you know, the Facebookers, the heavy, heavy Facebookers slash Instagrammers, uh-huh. tweeters. Are you talking I about mean, Yeah. Let's say you talk about me. No. <laughs> yes. I mean, I don't admire you for that because it's, like, it's quite cathartic, I think. I just have phobia about it, so, yes, <laughs> that's my admiration. Awesome. Not a single fuck shall be given. You, you respect that, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> okay, fourth one. What's the toughest decision you've ever made, B? Hmm. Well, um, I think moving to Cape Town recently. Uh, you know, um, I wouldn't say tough in that it's, you know, it's hard to live in this, this city, but tough to, yeah, to leave um, a city that I loved and friends and a, 
you know, a business I had built. I mean, I'm not leaving the business, but leaving my business partner in another city. Um, yeah, that was really tough. Catherine? Um, so I lived in the States for about three years and before that England for four years. So when I was in the States, I was in line to get a green card. Um, but I had to sort of stay at the company I was at for, I think it was going to be another two years. And, you know, it was definitely a path to call it security, um, and stay in my job and, and get my permanent residency. And I decided to leave and come back to South Africa. Wow. And I wouldn't say toughest decisions because wow. it felt great. But it was a, one of the riskiest decisions I've ever made. You know, you're coming back to somewhere that's not 100% stable and, you know, the future's not certain. But, yeah, I mean, I've never regretted that. But at the time, it seemed a little bit crazy. You know, people are like, you should get your yeah. permanent residency and, yeah. and, and get your ducks in a row. And I couldn't, I couldn't stay in the same job for two years. I just yeah. knew I wouldn't be able to do it. So, yeah, just yeah. up and left. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. It's both of you had the same, uh, well, same kind of answer in terms of its um, origin where it was around um, relocating. My wife and I actually mm. spoke this morning again about potentially relocating down to Cape Town. Um, uh, just on Catherine's to go back to you. Do you have any plans to kind of rejoin up with B down there? You know, I'm actually from Cape Town. Um, I have to say at the moment, I can't even put my head there because my husband is, his business is, it's his own business too. And it's very much, um, has to be in Joburg. He's in commercial property. So, you know, if we did, he would love to live in Cape Town, but if we did, he would commute and that would be, I would be a single parent and that is not an option right now. So the answer is no, but I would love to. So for now it's holidays. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Um, okay. Lastly, what um, single piece of advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs today? Um, I, I would say do your research um, and figure out if there really is a demand for what you're selling, um, and don't let ego get in the way. You know, is it ego that wants to produce this beautiful thing, or is it because there's a solid demand for what you're trying to sell? Mm-hmm. Great advice, Catherine. Would you like to add to that? Um, I think there's that saying, leap and the net will appear. Like, go for it. Just go for it. Life's too short. And I think... This explains our different personalities. <laughs> yes. Like, do your research. Catherine's like, jump. Do your research. <laughs> no, just do it. Um, I think, yeah, Nike, just do it, you know, because you sit around going, I should try this, I should try that. And then 10 years pass and you're still in the same corporate job and you're actually pretty grumpy and miserable, you know. So I would say just do it. And nothing's permanent. So something doesn't work out, you can always go back to that boring job if you want to. <laughs> Great advice. Okay, guys. Okay, cool. And what's your why as an entrepreneur? Uh, we all have a why. I mean, what, what gets you guys out of bed in the morning? Um, for me, it's the fact that I get to write for a living and earn a business. I mean, I get up in the morning and I get to do what I love and make money from it. And I don't think you can ask for any more than that. Mm. Amen. Amen. Kath, what's your why? Totally. And there's just such a sense of freedom in uh, working for yourself and just being your own boss. I was, I was a terrible employee. <laughs> I don't like bosses. <laughs> I mean, clients, are, but I, I, I like to decide which direction I'm going to go in and what I, what I'm going to work on. And what, and so we get to choose the clients we work on, which is really such a treat to be able to do that. And I also love writing. So yeah, it's like the actual stuff, what we do, I really enjoy. Uh-huh. It's not like I try, I wish the uh-huh. day away, you know? Yeah, for sure. Do what you're passionate about, so, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Live the dream. Live the dream. Okay. Um, so that's the end of the interview. How can, um, if the guys who've been watching closely uh, wanted to reach out to you, how can they find out more about what you guys are doing, potentially get in touch with you for, for, for content marketing help and so forth? Uh, okay, so you can visit our website, which is www.black-mountain.ca. That's a hyphen in the middle. Uh-huh. Or you can email us at info at black-mountain. Or you can follow us on Twitter at blackmtn. That's our handle. Okay. Or Belinda's mommy blog. And Belinda is very active on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So you can also follow at, is it at Belinda Mountain. Yeah, at Belinda Mountain, yeah. yeah. Okay, awesome. Thank we'll you, ladies. It. Thanks so much, Matt. Thank you so much. Um, Thanks, Matt. Wishing you all the best for the rest of the year. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Ed. Bye. Bye. Remember that the show is now on iTunes, so please head on over and either write us a review or subscribe for new episodes. And if you'd like to be an exclusive real-time participant on our next Digital Kung Fu live show, then visit our website at digitalkungfu.co.za forward slash live to get early bird vip access thanks for listening to the digital kung fu show if you'd like to check out more episodes and get access to our growing community of entrepreneurs working together to succeed in business then please visit our website at www.digitalkungfu.co.za ever wanted to become a best-selling author well i'm in the influence business and i work with business owners and ceos and business leaders to help them scale their influence and we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author sought after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days my team and i have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300 faster and 50 less cost than anyone else in north america this system is incredibly efficient one of my clients haiku went from a two percent share of voice globally to an 11 percent share of voice globally in only seven days if you'd like more information head on over to showworksmedia.com for more that is showworks with an x.com